0: You're listening to Technically 200, a podcast featuring the stories of amazing Black and Latina women in STEM. This season, in celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, we are excited to highlight the empowering stories of Latinas in STEM. Stay tuned each week as we feature Latinas from a range of backgrounds within the STEM field, sharing how they've discovered their passions, overcame obstacles, and paved a way for their respective careers as women of color. Welcome to our episode one of Technically 200. It is season four, and we are featuring Latinas and STEM in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month coming up this September. So we have the pleasure of having Claudia with us, who is our first guest this season. Uh, Claudia, I'm so excited to get started with today's episode, but I'd love for you to go ahead and kick things off by sharing with our Technically 200 listeners who you are and what you do. Thank you, Selena.
1: My name is Claudia Elena Varela. My training is in biomedical engineering and dance. I am currently a PhD candidate in the health science and technology program that is housed in Harvard and MIT. And I guess my focus right now is on building cardiac devices that help us deliver drugs to the heart, and modify how it moves to improve its function after
0: a heart attack. Awesome. That sounds like amazing work and very important work. Uh, Can't wait to dive into that further. I would love to first talk about your ethnic background and how you feel that ties into your overall identity.
1: Yes, of course. I was born and raised in Reynosa, Mexico, uh, which is a border town with Hidalgo, Hidalgo, Texas. I identify as Mexican, and I was lucky to have the support from my family and friends I'm during high school to become interested in, in STEM. Unfortunately, the city that I'm from was highly impacted by drug-dealing violence that arose in the late 20, 2010, like around 2010. and I also was fortunate enough that my dad is an American citizen and we were able to relocate to Texas uh, during my senior year of high school, which apart from allowing me to qualify for financial aid and pursue college in the U.S., it opened up like a world of of possibilities in, in that matter.
0: That is definitely a powerful story. It sounds like a lot of where you are from and your origin in Mexico connects to how you were able to come in here and, and pursue uh, higher education and then continue down your career path now uh, within the STEM field. So I I would love to dig a little deeper there and hear more about what it was like growing up in Mexico, identifying as Mexican, um, but also Migrating to the states so late in your in your childhood, young adulthood, and and then going after such a rigorous education, um, like major and, and and career path.
1: Yes, of course. So Reynosa is a border town, so it always was very dynamic in terms of like people coming and going, and there's a lot of cultures that are around there. There's a lot of migration. It also is this. it it was interesting to always grow up knowing that we have access to a whole other world just across the border and even even as a motivation for even for for things like learning english and being able to have that like those those resources available as well in in various ways just by like being physically present in a different country like 15 minutes after you left another one is, is kind of like a wild concept that people that live in the border kind of just always embody and grow with and and in terms of growing up there I, I can kind of rephrase it, it I can kind of go back to to how I, I think I got into STEM I think it was very multifactorial my parents are engineers in my family education has always been highly valued just in general and I have uncles that are physicians and also more engineers so. So STEM was always something that was achievable and kind of like norm almost that that you something that you could always pursue. And uh, it also I I was very fortunate to attend in, in Mexico up until basically high school. I was able to I was able to attend a private school that had very passionate and committed STEM teachers, especially in my years. I think of middle school and high school, I had like key people that I remember instated how amazing science and engineering um, are in our day-to-day lives and how like knowledge in those fields leads to the creation of things that did not exist before and also like cures for disease or treatments for or having that would help like your, your loved ones at some point or eventually. So I I think at the beginning, I always wanted to be a physician because I was fascinated by biology. I like was that nerd kid that would love dissecting the frog in that like middle school experiment and was fascinated by everything that like goes on inside of the human body or like leading things in general, but because I always also pursued dance to the that to the best of my ability, I always wanted to also seriously consider dance as a career. I always knew that being a physician was going to be too demanding and that when I was going to be training to become a doctor, I guess a medical doctor, I was I was going to have to give up dancing and I wouldn't be able to dance anymore. So I because of that started considering that I will just do like study biology alone and then that was probably around middle school, that was when my big realization of like, biology is the thing to study. Then in high school, I was able to start this extracurricular math classes that are through this system called Kumon. Maybe I'm not pronouncing it right, but that system I think is kind of well known. And, and that, I guess, exposure to math and the quantitative sciences in general just kind of drove me more to appreciate like my physics classes that i was taking in, in high school and it, it really kind of pushed me towards the engineering side of of things but the biology was still fascinating specifically the human body so then i was i remember when i had to pick uh, you you were able to pick between like anatomy and physics in your senior year of high school to kind of just get more exposure to either of those fields. And I was thorn and buzzed very much in between. Like which one should I and I I ended up Googling just like, oh, what careers are out there for people that wanna learn both biology and wanna be engineers and biomedical engineer, which is maybe one of the newest, I guess, engineering engineering disciplines that are out there, popped up and I was like, this sounds like a perfect fit. I should I should look more into that and like that uh, major, I guess, as a, as a formal major, it wasn't super accessible in the area that I was looking into going. So I think some of the research that had to go into was like water, biomedical engineer, I think in the US that it was more widely available in Mexico, it wasn't so much. So that kind of also started putting into my head that I was gonna have to move away and, and pursue my career elsewhere because it wasn't available in like our local universities yes so then i applied i was the first one in my family to try to pursue college in the u.s my parents and my family were all engineers and like had their careers and their degrees from mexico so it was almost like a little bit of a labyrinth to figure out on my own and having like a network of people that. Because we lived in the border, some folks were able to to pursue just their entire education in Texas. So they were more familiar with how the education system, the educational system kind of traversed in terms of transitioning from high school to college. So I remember like reaching out to some of the people that I knew were pursuing that. Some had some acquaintances that like through dance and other like activities that I did had I were kind of familiar with the process. And so I also was lucky to be connected to some people that were like well you, this is the, kind of the path like you take the sat the ict of your standardized test that you have to submit and like letters of recommendation and so it was this whole thing because i i remember most of like i finished i ended up finishing high school in mexico even though i had physically moved i would just commute back because it was too complicated to try to transfer at that point because i was about to finish and so even my letters of rec, I remember like my professors in Mexico were like, I can write them, but in Spanish, so someone's going to have to translate them for you to be able to submit them uh, to American university. So that was a whole other thing that I had to kind of learn to navigate it. Like my school didn't offer school transcripts in English. So it was also something that had to be translated. And yeah, you, you would think that because of the border that was kind of more standard, but I guess it, it wasn't at that time. And so, Once I was trying to, like, figure out of this, like, oh, this is how you apply to college in the U.S., I was, like, lucky to, again, get all my materials in in time. And I took the SAT only once because I thought that's what, like, you were meant to do. And then I found out that, like, people take it multiple times until they get it right. And then I was like, oh, well, that would have been good to know a year ago. But anyway, I think it all kind of worked out in I put together a couple applications that I was expecting to stay around Texas. I think Texas was most of my school choices were in Texas. And I kind of went on a whim and and tried like to go for one of the top bioengineering programs in UC San Diego, which I was like, Oh, this seems like amazing in terms of uh, the types of specialties that they allowed you to pursue within the bioengineering degree. So. It seemed like a very attractive program and it all of the a lot of the requirements for the application were very similar to things that I was already preparing so I was like I'm going to just go for it like you never know maybe maybe I'll get in maybe I won't um and I applied to San Diego as like my dream school will never reach it kind of thing and it ended up being the only one that admitted me from all of the ones that I applied to which is kind of ironic but again i once i got admitted so i got admitted into texas i didn't get admitted into some of the texas into the texas schools that i applied to and then the all and basically the only option i had was that or i was also lucky to get a scholarship for a university that was based in mexico ba- through my high school and i because it all kind of like aligned all of the planets aligned and i was able to get a good financial aid package to be able to go to ucsd i also visited there and was like amazed by the different world that it was and so it was very exciting and at the same time i knew i had to be ready to kind of readjust what my educational experience was going to be that was going to be from from that point on because again most of all of my education up to that point was like through the Mexican education system. So I so yeah, think once I got to college, the first year was definitely an adjustment. I had to, I think in terms of the sciences, I had really good preparation for all of the classes that I that I started taking, but I didn't have, for instance, any APs or IB credits. I couldn't really like transfer credits in any way. so. I kind of started from scratch, and it was actually really good because it in terms of the sciences, it allowed me to go through the classes, knowing some of the material that I had learned from high school, that even though it didn't like officially was able to be transferred like it was validating to like know that i could I could do sciences even if it was like at this different like higher level <laughs> uh, at this higher level setting in college and in terms of the language, that was another whole thing. I was able to always have like extracurricular English classes through a school, a small school that, that was around in Reynosa. I also was able to spend some summers in Texas, fully kind of immersing myself talking just in English, but in terms of writing, I was definitely behind and I had to take the, I guess, community version credit, community college version, um, class of what folks in my i guess like class would do like in high school let's say so i basically did uh i think most of the most of the you basically were allowed to have up to the like the entire year you were you were given a three tries on passing this, I guess, writing exam, that would kind of give you the thumbs up to now you can enroll in college level English writing classes. So basically, I had to go through that multiple times, I didn't pass it the first time I had to go through it twice. And uh, then I was able to kind of check that box. And uh, it was really, it was very much a, it, it was a really good learning experience for me, because I think despite the fact that I could like speak and knew the language, it reinforced my, my English speaking and writing um, abilities, which I think definitely paved the way for, for my college experience and for it to be as successful as it could
0: have been, I feel like we diverged, but I mean, but you incorporated so much into that. I mean, you you highlighted, I mean, you talked about pursuing such a rigorous field and majors and within the, you know the the stem sector coming from you know mexico migrating and, and pursuing higher education that process but you included a lot i mean the fact that you were learning a different language you were navigating the higher education system as a young student coming to kind of how you describe it this new world this different country for the first time really to live and and then go after that dream so there's so much to tackle there but I first would love to kind of highlight something I think that is, of course, associated with moving to a country like this and pursuing higher education, which is figuring out the immigration process. I know just previous context a little bit that you also tackled that along with figuring out how you were going to apply and take the SAT and do all of those things. So if you could share a little bit about that as well. Your family came with you, right? Yeah, I guess my my parents were both
1: familiar with the language and Mm -hmm. uh, were able to, to navigate the situation had, I guess, in the border line, you have a lot of people that are bilingual just by, by default, or even speak only Spanish, even if it's in, in the Texas side. So I think in terms of resources to navigate the immigration process, they were definitely supported. And I know we also did the went through the process with another Family member of ours that was undergoing go- the same process at the same time with our uh, our cousins. It was good to have that uh, support, and I think it also was a- it was about trying to always have this hope that everything was gonna work out because it again could take a couple months, it could take years, and we were only kind of hoping that everything was gonna was gonna Kind of work out in our favor. And, and to be fair, I also going through the process of applying to college, I, I should highlight that uh, some of the friends that our family members that were hosting us during that time uh, had, they were applying to college as well. So I was also lucky to get their support while I was undergoing and trying to kind
0: of navigate the, the application process. So I think that's also something good to highlight. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as with anything that takes effort, support is an important part of of the journey. You spoke about family, their familiarity with the work that you are aiming to do, you are currently doing. But also you spoke about some other folks, such as professors and teachers and such. So thinking about what you had in mind to pursue, what did support look like?
1: Yes, I've been very, very blessed with a lot of people that have supported my journey at every single step of the way. I think my family, parents, grandmas, uncles, definitely have always pushed me to, to that regardless, to 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 always know that regardless of what happens, is better to go ahead and try than to regret not trying because of fear that you will fail. And so that was always very much embedded <laughs> in my in, in like the core values that that we, I guess, pursue. And, 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 and yeah, I think that is, it also goes along the way with being humble. And I remembering that the, that what you're going to contribute to the world eventually is going to be worth it, the hard work and the hours of effort. And I think think that just that also is very intrinsic to, to, I guess, what I kind of call like being Mexican is like you're persevering, you're resilient, and always grateful while at the same time valuing community and family. So in terms of family, that's definitely some like a support mechanism that was always there and it was very I was very lucky to have in terms of mentors that are more maybe on the professional side or the technical side the teachers that I had in middle school and high school I most of the teachers that I had in STEM specifically were women and that was always something that I appreciated that it was always something that I Took for granted that I was, I could be a biologist, I could be a chemist, I could be an engineer if I wanted. And that was definitely something that I know I was lucky to have in retrospect because it's definitely a male dominated field. So that is something that I think back to and I appreciate that I had those role models early on and in the early stages of my training. And once I got to college, I think it. Support looked very different, but it, it it also came from professors. The the main mentor that I had during my I guess speaking of STEM was Dr. Francisco Villarreal, which was who who was like the the professor of the lab that I worked at during my entire undergrad career, and him and his students and like postdocs uh, were always there to kind of help me navigate what becoming a scientist <laughs> would mean and, and to of being like exemplary people that are also Hispanic Latinos and are, are there to are, are, were very passionate and really, really, we're really there to keep training folks in, into STEM and into scientific careers. So I think in college, that's where most of my, I guess, inspiration and, and career-wise came from. Um, in terms of dance, I also had some important mentors in my early years and in, in, I guess, before college and during college who were always there as well to
0: to provide support. I love that. Really cool that you were able to see representation of, of women, women of color, within the field so young. But you alluded to also understanding later on down the line that it was a male-dominated field. So knowing that you are kind of high up there in your higher education, academic pursuits in the field of academia now. What is it like being a Latino woman or a woman of color in your field and in academia, in your discipline at this point in time? And, and, And what was it like moving kind of backwards almost, seeing that so young and then realizing, wait a minute, there's not a lot of representation or access for people who look like me in this space. It was shocking uh, to me how the further, I guess, up
1: the ladder you go in academia, the least representation you see just in general, in terms of gender, in terms of race. And in a way it ignited my, I guess, passion to do something to change that during my lifetime. And I think that comes also from from seeing what having a mentor during my college years can do to me and what it can mean for someone else to have someone like me be their mentor further on. So I think that's how I became very much like from the moment, I think I decided I wanted to become a scientist. I always saw myself as a person in academia that at the same time was doing and helping society discover things that could help their health. Also having the bigger focus always be in how to keep nurturing the next generation of scientists, specifically for for scientists that are not represented currently that are underrepresented in that, that, yeah, changing, changing that panorama. It's definitely the, the, my, what I hope to contribute to the, the length of, of my (laughs) academic career. I guess having said that also during my, during my college years, I did some outreach at high schools to try to, again, encourage folks to, to pursue STEM period. I think in, in grad school, it has been more about how do we advocate for institutional change to accommodate people that are not currently represented in the system and how from an institutional standpoint, there's all of these things that can be evaluated and looked at in order to update how the space currently handles having folks that are not that haven't traditionally been here around. So I think in grad school it's been more about advocating for policy changes and sustainable sustainable change in the university instead of almost like advocating for for folks who even going to grad school, but I think I have been part of an advocacy group that it just wanted to in- increase the number of people of color that apply to our program and end up coming to our program and i yeah, I was a very lucky to run into like minded folks in my program who I have relied on for community ever since I think was interviewing for this program. I knew once these people were going to join the program, I was going to be okay because the community uh, was going to be there and there was going to be folks to support me along the way. But, But yeah, it's definitely something I hope to continue to work on just in the future. And there's a lot of things that can be done to continue to improve academia and to continue to make academia more inclusive. Yeah,
0: you mentioned some personal goals. I'd love if you could share maybe a few changes that you would say you would love to see within like the university academia setting. Um, and then maybe like a, one of those personal goals that you have in mind for yourself. Like what does it look like to do that in the personal realm as well um, in terms of pushing for change and access for Latinas, women of color in the field?
1: Yeah, I think some of the, the things that are always at the top of the list of a lot of folks doing advocacy work is to do a thorough review of just what the institution is and how it exists right now. Taking a close look about, uh, at all of the policies with a lens of we want to ensure that how everything stands right now can be the most inclusive, equitable, and just that. It can be, right? And it it, it all starts with acknowledging that no institution is perfect. And the history of this country has made all of these institutions, has made it impossible for these institutions to be perfect right now. Just acknowledging that and knowing that you're going to take a look at how your institution runs in all aspects. And you're going to find out that most likely you're going to find out that there's some practices that you have in place that systemically have prevented for people in the specific groups to not feel welcomed or not be included in very specific ways or have been, I guess, disadvantaged by the stand, like how these practices stand right now. So the first thing is to just take a look at them and acknowledge that, find, find where the weaknesses of these and the the, where these policies are not perfect or these practices are not perfect. And having experts in the field of higher education and like education, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, there's a lot of folks that hold a lot of knowledge and what is the way to go about creating institutions that are more inclusive, equitable, and just. And I think even just getting an evaluation of, from that perspective and seeing how you can update how, how you run your institution right now and how their organization exists can be the first step to, to start ensuring that the changes that you make from that point on are going to be up par with, with what is meant to be happening right now. What are the best practices to achieve all of diversity, equity and inclusion goals? And, and that's just one thing. I mean, in terms of higher education and like specifically like Doctoral programs, uh, in terms of recruitment of graduate students, specifically, there's things like incorporating holistic review practices and ensuring that people that are in application com- in admission committees are pro- are provided the training to appreciate how different applications can provide different values and how even increasing how- where you advertise your program can make a huge difference because there's a lot of very talented folks out there that just basically maybe don't know that your program exists and it could be the perfect program for them. And uh, yeah, I think also once you, I mean, there's the, there's the thing of getting more people into academia and then there's the, how do you keep them in academia and make academia inclusive and welcoming and equitable to, to want them to stay. And then there's also, how do you, help them continue to grow as academics, which then comes with like improving like hiring practices for professorships. And how do you ensure that you're taking everyone along with you to ensure that you're not disencouraging people along the way to continue the academic academic path. That's just kind of very broadly what I think can be done. And I am no, no expert in this field is just kind of how what the types of experiences
0: that I've gotten doing some of this work alongside this, this group of people in my department. I love kind of taking a step back too and recognizing that not every setting university institution is going to be set up with the same the same way and have the same you know issues or flaws I guess in kind of the way in which they are operating where you know some of these more equitable practices may be falling through the cracks. I want to circle back to a part of your story that I thought was really unique and we haven't touched on it too much yet, but you mentioned earlier um, that you were also into dance and that in considering what major or career long-term you would pursue, you you thought about feasibility of maintaining dance alongside that. So. Where are you now with dance? Are you, are you still dancing? Were you able to integrate that into your academic pursuit?
1: Yeah. Yes, I am still dancing. And thank you for circling back because I think normally when I start talking about STEM, usually the A of STEM and slash STEAM gets kind of like left behind. And yeah, so I, when I arrived to college, I've always danced and I've been very I always liked dancing. I've always kind of felt that dancing adds something to my life that nothing else can add and, and everything that dance has ever given me has always been reinforcing, reinforce, reinforces my values and a lot of like what I think end up being my personal, some of my personal qualities end up also coming from the fact that I was able to pursue dance from a very young, a very young age in having dance as an activity that I always did and that I was passionate about and that teaches you discipline and hard work and commitment all of that when I got to college I knew I wanted to keep pursuing dance and at least to to my knowledge in in some I I guess in the in Mexico you can't really just pursue two like two majors at the same time. You have to basically be dually enrolled in either the same university or a different university. And it's not too easy to, to just kind of mix and match classes. So I was never really expecting to be able to do that once I started to college in the US. But when I got to college in the US, I realized that you could take up what it was called a minor. And it was basically you take some classes and because you took a certain amount of classes, you have a certain amount of, you've com- completed a certain amount of a degree, so you get a minor degree on, on this other, other field. So when I realized that I was able to do that, I was like, oh, well, I know that my major is going to be bioengineering, but I would love to have a, ma- a minor in dance. And I, when I started college, I also signed up for the dance class. And in the department of theater and dance in UC San Diego, there was amazing professors. And When I realized all of what the training in that department could offer me, I basically started wondering like, oh, I want to just keep taking dance classes, regardless of whether they're going to count towards my minor or not, because I guess minors take maybe like seven classes to to complete. And during the time that I was taking classes towards my minor, I met the, the professor who became my my dance mentor, as I, as I call her during college, uh, Professor Patricia Rincón, and she was like, oh, well, you seem to like really thrive in, in, in these classes and you're a minor, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a minor. She's like, why don't you just become a major? And I was like, can you do that? <laughs> I thought I was only able to do one thing. And she's like, no, I mean, we have plenty of double majors here in specifically within dance and, and theater in theater in the department of theater and dance and i was like oh wow well let me look into it and i'll i'll get back to you and i looked into it and i kind of like played around with all of the units that i was going to have to take and when in certain like class series that like had to be taken consecutively and like all of these kind of like logistical uh points and then I think I came up with a plan for instead of taking four years to finish my degree, I was going to take five. And I was going to basically split my last couple of years between the upper division requirements of dance and engineering. And by the time I finished my fifth year, I was going to be able to basically fulfill all of the requirements to have both majors. So... That's kind of what happened. That's how it started. I was able to, I was able to do that. And it was honestly one of the best decisions I've ever made because also undergoing the training specifically in the dance program at UC San Diego, which is highly focused in, in research and choreography. It was also very similar to the, I guess, intellectual underpinnings of doing research. It was all about how do you find ways to go from ideas in your head to movement on the stage that Delivers a message or makes the audience feel a certain way or get a message, and so it it made me very. It, it it only like kind of entered this loop of of this feedback loop of of creativity and curiosity always being at the forefront of both my science I guess training that I was getting and then my creative and artistic training that I was getting. So yeah, so I think because of that I. I realized that I wanted to always keep both careers side by side. And even though like during my during college, I like then I started obviously pursuing grad school and PhD and my PhD I knew it was going to take kind of like it was going to be at the (laughs) the PhD was going to be at the forefront of what I needed to focus on in terms of time and effort, because it's something that I wanted to complete in order to continue to pursue academia. I was still able to, once I moved to, to Boston, reach out to a dance company, a a local dance company called Dance Organica that does, that, that creates work focused around social justice and basically is a company whom I've been training with ever since, since I, and since I got here. So because as a PhD student, after you finish your classes, your schedule is quite uh, flexible and if you have an advisor that allows you to also have that flexibility, uh, which I'm very, very, very lucky to have. I have been able to manage being a company member with Danza Organica while at the same time continuing to pursue my PhD and in terms of what I see, how I see dance to continue to be in my life in the years to come. During this like grad school years specifically, I have been thinking a lot about what what dance as a as a field can can do and can give, and my, my training has mostly been in in choreography, and I did my thesis mostly in like how in, in, in choreography and specifically of social justice related work and I think through these years I realized that that although I've always kept dance and engineering very much side by side and never really tried to purposely intermingle them. I I can see how like dance and movement and the process of embodying feelings and just using your body to express certain things can be, can just open up a whole new world of like intelligence, of individual intelligence. And so I, I'm interested in, in. When I'm looking, I'm going to probably go in the faculty mo- faculty job market at some point. Um, I hope that when I finish my application package, I'll be able to spend a whole like year or two just pursuing dance, having already kind of prepared what my next career step science wise will be. And I think I'm really interested in exploring what like the interface between dance, social justice and like even like the clinical benefits of dance or maybe something along the lines of how does embodying things can help you with understanding concepts that are maybe not super easy to grasp engineering wise i think there's a lot of potential for different aspects of engineering and dance to merge not necessarily like that are super obvious right now but but i'm also very interested of just getting even more like training in in just choreographing techniques and how to continue to grow kind of like my dance practice in general so i think I'll hopefully be able to pursue, I actually, I won't say I'll hopefully be able, I'll say I'll be able to pursue dance full time while I'm waiting for <laughs> to start my faculty job. And you know, never know, maybe in the future, a university would want me to teach both.
0: <laughs> there we go. I, I mean, you've done it this far. You found a way to integrate and, and maintain both of your passions. And I think that's very admirable that you have not only found that path and continue to be intentional about it, but it it has all come to come together so seamlessly. So I can only imagine what you'll be able to do moving forward. And I'm sure you're definitely going to make it happen. One thing I want to highlight before we, we kind of wrap up for today is just. You spoke about STEAM versus STEM. And I know STEM is the more traditional, probably the more common terminology of thinking about science and technology in this field. Tell us a little bit more broadly what STEAM is and, and what the importance of that eight is, especially for our young people who are, I don't know, seemingly more creative these days, really integrating the arts, but also are uh, recognizing that technology and science really is the future for us.
1: Yes. I mean, in terms of like how deep the concept of STEAM goes, I have to say that I only know what the acronym means and all of the exposure on how those integrate has basically been integrated by my personal experience and like what I think kind of makes them all fit together. Um, so STEAM versus STEM. STEAM is science, technology, engineering, arts and math versus science, technology, engineering, and math, which is just STEM. And uh, yes, I think having the A there, I, I kind of go back to to my previous uh, question. It ends up opening up this other like world of, of possibilities. Once, once you have the A in there and you try to maybe mix and match between those letters, you get science and art, technology and art, math and art, and that once, once you kind of like break the barrier of engineering has to be just about technical things or engineering or science only have to be about (laughs) things that are within that constraint you end up losing the possibility of this interdisciplinary thought that comes with with incorporating arts in the mix i think from from having more i guess core fields in the mix you you have an endless amount of elements to bring into and to iterate through, and maybe you you don't know like what engineers or scientists like have been struggling with. maybe there's a parallel process that in the arts has been like always been just standard and and maybe you miss that if you just don't want to incorporate the a in the mix and I think that is maybe a little bit too abstract, but in terms of practical matters, just having the ability to to be open to having an artistic practice that you do every day that then lets you have the creative mind or like your creative juices flowing by the time you get to like a scientific practice that you have every day i i can i can't see how that is in any way detrimental and so i think it can always add and i and in that's again maybe a little bit too abstract as well but in terms of technical matters like if you don't have art in the mix like how is it that like scientific illustrators can do textbooks to help us visualize and kind of conceptualize different like things that come that come by how it's there's a lot of videos around this but there's a couple of videos about this but how Physical concepts like of like weight, gravity, centers of <laughs> centers of gravity, like all of those are like crucial when you're like moving or dancing or trying to do like sonography for like theater, like all of that like is very much intermingled. So it's also like how some of the integration between projection and like all of these shows are coming now uh, to fruition where projection and technology and everything is kind of combined with the human body as they move into, as they move through the stage in, in, in the hope of, with the hope of, of portraying this other, like bringing a different possibility in, into doing and portraying like concepts and plays that have never been done before in this way. Like all of that is just like more and more possibilities that arise from having this interdisciplinary nature be open and be, be be like kind of checkmarked as like, let's go for it. And I feel like there's an there's a lot of things that can come out of it that end up having like very tangible, tangible
0: outcomes that are beneficial to all of the fields involved. I wish our listeners could see your passion for this. I mean, I, I think very abstract ideas, but it makes complete sense, hopefully, as the generations continue to pursue career paths and and similar majors and interests that the A continues to remain because I certainly can see the value that it's offering. I want to close with, if you were mentoring your younger self, what would you tell her or what would you teach her?
1: I think what I would say is don't be afraid of what people may think. The next thing I would say is that my younger self should question why she thinks a specific way and introspect about who is it that really, or, or what is it that really makes it, make, makes makes her herself.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Claudia, for uh, sharing your story and being with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. The work that you are doing, I hope that it continues to be amazing. Uh, it already sounds like it's making an impact, but I'm excited to see uh, and stay in touch to to really recognize kind of both what you're doing within the field of STEM, but also within the realm of dance. Thanks again for listening to today's Technically 200 episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com.